Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here with Beverly of Sequitur Consulting. We are going to talk life changes, living around the country, business consulting, governmental consulting, um, being involved in a bank, and just a whole plethora of other topics to come within this episode. I'm really excited to dive in with her and I know y'all are going to really enjoy this one as well. But before we get started, I want to give a big, wonderful shout-out and gratification to the amazing sponsors that make this show possible each and every week. Government Taco, Falaya Real Estate, Currency Bank, the Bank for Business, Lake Men's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and as you know it, the outfit of the day and the wardrobe brought to you by McClavey's Limited. Without further ado, Beverly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate your patience and us getting everything no ready. No problem. Getting ready to go on the show, and I'm excited. You have quite a rap sheet, resume. <laughs> what's, the, what's the proper term here for what you've uh, done over the course you of your call life? It. Yeah, I've, I've, I've hopped around a little bit. <laughs> so for those that may not be aware, who are you and what do you do? Um, so... Beverly Haydell. I uh, own a company called Sequitur Consulting, and I started this business, I guess it's been about six years ago now. Um, and the work that I do has kind of evolved over those six years. I would say it's actually ended up where I am today, which is doing the exact type of work that I like to do. Um, about half of my time is spent in sort of traditional management type consulting services. So helping clients navigate strategic planning or decisions that their company is facing, some project management, helping clients sort of quarterback big projects that they have going on for their organization. Um, and then the other part of my work is focused almost exclusively on state and federal public policy. So um, kind of the evolution of my career, I've done a lot in go state government, politics, and found out that what I really love to do is figure out how we improve our state by changing policy. And so part of that is just helping clients sort of behind the scenes navigate issues. And then the other part is actually lobbying at the state capitol for changes on behalf of my clients. So um, I've got one one partner, um, a woman who just joined me, I guess almost two years now, who also has a background in state government. Um, and we love what we do. It's really great. So you, you don't do much, it sounds like. <laughs> Not too much. <laughs> not too much. Yeah. Very, very empty day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very empty yeah, exactly. day. Not a lot of running Just around. Just lounge around most right, of the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. so, I mean, that's what it sounds like yeah, based yeah, on what yeah. you do. So how did we get here to, to this, what someone see as like the pinnacle of, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing what you do? Um, so my background is pretty varied. Um, I don't know how far back you want me to go. Um, so but, when you were a child. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I'm actually a lawyer by training. Okay. I... Uh, Went to law school in California at Stanford and following law school, moved to Washington, D.C., really thought that I wanted to just be a corporate lawyer and practice law full time. I uh, really enjoyed law school, ended up clerking for a federal judge there for a year and then joining a firm that really kind of was a, a boutique firm for, you know, by D.C. standards, still about 50 attorneys. Um, and we were kind of known for going to trial. So big companies would hire us if they really didn't want to settle. So I did a lot of taking depositions, like going into arbitration, things like that. Great experience. Um, but after about two and a half years in the firm, uh, I was pretty burnt out. 
I was working every week, so. every weekend, um, not a lot of time for fun stuff. And I'd always kind of had a itch for politics, but never really dived in. And so a former colleague of mine uh, from when I clerked in D.C. called me and he was like, hey, I'm hearing you're pretty burnt out at the firm. Like, I also left my law firm job and I moved up to Boston and I'm working on the Mitt Romney for president campaign. Do you want to join me? And so I convinced the partners at my firm to let me take a leave and moved up to Boston, which is actually where I went to college. So it wasn't a completely foreign territory. Oh, wait. So... so Couple things here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where, where, where did Harvard play into all this? So I am I fast forwarding? Or are we going? Yeah, back? we're going back. Okay, yeah, okay. Let's, I, I, yeah. Uh, let's go back to the Harvard okay, day. Let, okay. let, let's talk about that journey. So I started my college career at Louisiana Tech okay. on a basketball scholarship, playing for the Lady Texters. Right, as um, everyone does. Right, point guard. I'm, I'm sitting down, but I am five one. So if I stood up, you'd know it was pretty much point guard or nothing. Um, so I went to Louisiana Tech on a basketball scholarship and decided to I actually played under Kim Mulkey, who's now the women's coach at LSU. She was the assistant coach, well, the about, associate coach. When how I was about there. that? So when she decided to leave and go to Baylor, I was like, well, my time here is done. So I decided to transfer and um, ended up going to Harvard okay. and also playing basketball there. So a very random move. <laughs> so. um, but. <laughs> But it was a, a lucky one. How did that come about? I mean, you don't hear every day people playing, first off, playing basketball at Louisiana right, Tech right. under Kim Mulkey. And then all of a sudden deciding to transfer to yeah. Harvard. Like, So I, I always knew I wanted to play college basketball. I mean, it was okay. one of those things where I and Harvard being played as a kid. School. And, you know, my parents were like, really any other sport you'd probably be better suited for than basketball. You know, gymnastics, anything. Um but it was basketball for me. And so um, that's kind of how the Louisiana, I grew up in Monroe. So that was really sort of my hometown college. And then when I decided to transfer, I kind of figured, well, you know, coming out of high school, I made my college choice strictly on athletics. And if I'm going to do this again, you know, I'll just try to pick the best academic school I can go to and hopefully also continue to play sports. And so I just put a bunch of feelers out, sent a bunch of game tape, and they wanted me, luckily. So So they, they took you on they a, took as me. a sports scholarship. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's even more impressive. Um, and it was great. It was a great experience. I mean, total culture shock. Right. Coming from Monroe, Louisiana to Boston. Uh, so, but it, it was great. Um, so, so. So then jumping back to, oh, yeah. to the D.C. Right. You so I quit your my boss. job at a law firm. Okay, so you okay, quit it and then you went. Went to work on the yes. campaign and uh, really was like, Loved everything about working on a presidential campaign. I mean, it was like, you know, 20-hour days, traveled around the country. I spent the last two months of the campaign in Ohio, which at the time was like a real battleground state. You know, now we've got other battleground states that we're paying attention to, like Georgia and Pennsylvania. But Ohio was really like the mecca uh, in the 2012 cycle. And so just to really see like the nitty-gritty of like how a presidential campaign works was pretty unreal. Um, so unfortunately, how, how can you, can you, yeah. can you disclose how all that works? So well, I guess, let's I talk guess about the, what you can. Yeah. Well, I guess the two things are the apparatus behind a presidential campaign is just tremendous. I mean, you, you don't realize until you're sort of working in the underbelly of a campaign, how many people are being paid by the campaign, how many consultants there are, how many, 
grassroots coalitions across the country. I mean, I've sort of tangentially been involved in, you know, congressional campaigns or campaigns for governor or things like that. But a presidential campaign is like, you know, that on steroids times a thousand. Um, and then the other thing is just realizing sort of on on the ground level, like what really happens leading up to an election day in a battleground state. I mean, just the get out the vote efforts, what happens on election day, it's it's pretty unreal. So, um, so, so what, what happens? So part of my job as part of the election day operation team in Ohio, because I was technically an attorney on the campaign, like my role was one of the associate counsels. So what we did was get ready for any legal filings that we were gonna have to do on election day. So whether that was figuring out a poll location where the machines had broken and then we needed to file something in court to keep that location open for an extra two hours, filing an injunction to stop the other campaign from doing something. And there were a fleet of attorneys in every battleground state ready for those you know, scenarios. So uh, that's something just sort of as an outsider it's con- it's behind the scenes, but, you, but it's that, all that really you don't important. know about that. You don't know, you know? about that. You but, just see what you see on CNN or Fox News, right? You, know, you, you so. see the, the 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 issues that come up and that get publicized. You yeah. don't see all the behind the scenes stuff of the filings, the motions. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm very well versed in legal. I've yes. seen suits, yes, in its entirety. <laughs> right, right. So I'm very yeah. well versed in that. Yeah, yeah. But like that show i mean to a very very small degree yeah kind of started getting this glimpse to what really happens in the yeah. legal field and like you saying you were you were the the folks that went to trial yeah and to hear you say you got burnt out to then go to the mitt romney campaign where I there know. were 20 hour days it, I mean, it's crazy I what, mean, what is thing, your definition were you working 26 hours at yeah. this law firm like the thing about campaigns which i think is you know whether it's a mayoral campaign or a governor or president i think they're all kind of similar in that like Generally speaking, there are a lot of 20-something-year-olds, 30-something-year-olds just working nonstop on campaigns because it is a grind. So you're sort of in the trenches with these people. Um, And win or lose, you come out of that experience, and those are, like, some of your best friends. So still today, the folks that I worked with on that campaign are, like, my best friends. They live all around the country for the most part. Um, But you kind of go through that experience. It's like going through a war with someone. Right. Yeah. Pretty awesome. It you, was great. You really get to know the people. You really do. On the you campaign. really do. Yeah. So <clears throat> you 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 left or the the campaign was over. Yes, campaign was over. So I mean, where do you where do you go from there? So campaign was over. What I was expecting to do was move back to to Washington, where I'd been working at my law firm, and just sort of pick up where I left off. Um, but literally the day after we lost, I think I was still like passed out in in my bed. Um, I got a call from a friend of mine down here who was working in the governor's office at the time. That was when Governor Jindal was in office. Um, he had just started his second term. And he was like, look, I know, you know, you're going to try to figure out what you're going to do next. Like, but we would really love to have you come back to Louisiana and come work for us. And I'd sort of been thinking, I always sort of had it in my mind that at some point I would move back to Louisiana. I just didn't really know when. Um, and so anyway, the timing was just right. I decided to sort of make the jump and move back to Louisiana. I had never lived in Baton Rouge, actually. I I mean, I said I'm from Monroe, so it was sort of like moving to a new place for me. Um, so ended up coming down here and going to work for Governor Jindal in the governor's office, um, doing sort of primarily policy work. 
Um, I, I wore my lawyer hat every once in a while, but for the most part, I was helping with sort of general policy stuff and ended up just because that was what was going on at the time, doing a lot of healthcare policy work, which I really enjoyed. Okay, so, so you got into healthcare policy. You're in a, you're in a new city, a new town, yeah. with what I imagine can only be a slight variation from the pace of life in <laughs> D.C. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I mean, a- adapting to that change, were you able to kind of leverage the fast-paced moving of D.C. to figure out how to now do a slower walk yeah. in Baton Rouge? I mean, what was that transition like? Yeah, I think it was actually really nice for me at the time. I think I'd sort of been going through the grind of city life for so long. I didn't realize how nice it would be to move to a place where definitely a lot going on and working in the governor's office was, you know, again, it was a lot going on, especially during session. Um, So no lack of of work, but um, just that sort of slower pace and coincidentally after moving back it was like two months later that I met my now husband at Jazz Fest so that kind of you know then I was like okay well I guess I'm staying um well because obviously it sounds like the husband yeah, was like right. no we're living here right right yeah he's from he's from Louisiana as well but um so yeah I mean for me Baton Rouge from the very beginning just seemed like a natural fit to me um and always really where I wanted to be I did when we got when my husband and I got married we did a brief stint in New Orleans for about two years, I guess. Um, and, and definitely very much enjoyed it. But for me, Baton Rouge is just sort of like my vibe. And particularly just because I'm interested in the political world, this is really where all the action's at. So living anywhere else in Louisiana, you just seem a little bit removed from the day-to-day action. So, um, yeah, we love Baton Rouge. Okay. So then you're, you're on the, the Jindal payroll. Yes. At this point. Yes. And... I feel like politics is one of those jobs where you know there's like an end yes. for your role. For sure. Wh- whether it's this term or next term oh, yes. or the term thereafter. Yeah. Like you know that there is an end date. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, and when what, you're working what, what for what a second-term governor, you, you definitely know you, there's you, an You end have date. like yeah, an end right. Like so yeah. from, from a, a two perspectives here, from a job role perspective of like you're trying to do the very best you can, but you know there's an end in mind. Yeah. And then also to – a, a job seeking slash security standpoint. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what is going through, I guess, you from a mental standpoint of how do I plan for the next gig, but yeah. also fulfill my roles in this gig? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of looked at it as like, you know, just sort of keep your head down and do good. At, I've always thought like that way in terms of my career is like not getting too caught up in what comes next, just keeping your head down, doing a good job building good relationships and sort of, if you do that, then the next opportunity will present itself. And um, I ended up shortly before his term was over um, going to work at the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with being here in Baton Rouge. Um, And for me, that was like really different. It's if if someone would have asked me like, oh, would you consider going to work in philanthropy or the nonprofit space? I probably would have been like, I mean, probably not. I mean, it doesn't really seem like in my career path. Right. Um, but as you know, BRAF is a very unique organization. They do a lot more than just sort of traditional nonprofit work. Um, they do a lot of really interesting projects across the city. And I had the opportunity in the governor's office to work directly with them on helping them 
get some of their projects done. Um, in particular, we are working on the Water Campus project, um, which is you know right off downtown and it's amazing development. A that great development. Is huge credit to the Baton Rouge yeah. Area Foundation, and so I they obviously partnered with the state in a pretty big way to get that done. And so I had the opportunity to be in some meetings with them. I was just blown away by the scope of what they do in the community. And so when they approached me about joining the team, they kind of said, look, you know, we don't know how long you're going to stay in the governor's office, but when you do get ready to make a move, would love, you know, to have you consider this. And so it just sort of felt like the right next step for me. Um, and then that's ended up, I stayed there for, I guess, somewhere between two and three years. And that's the time when I had gotten married, was having kids, and really the decision to kind of go out on my own and do my own thing at the moment was fueled by just a desire to want to be my own boss and have more flexibility as a mom. Um, and and as it turns out, it it's something I've really loved. So it worked out for the long term. So. So when going through that decision, it's not an easy one for someone or anyone to transition from a typical nine to five yeah. or basically working for your boss sure. to then thinking, wait a second, I want to be my own. Yeah. So, I mean, what were those discussions like in the beginning of kind of starting to cultivate this this child, basically, yeah. which are all startups are no yeah it's definitely a little bit scary i mean i remember talking to my husband and my parents and i was like i mean i think i can do it but you know in the beginning i feel like a lot of people especially in the sort of consulting type world are like i mean is anyone gonna call you know like yeah. i'm gonna plant my own flag but then who's my first client gonna be and in the beginning i actually wasn't entirely sure of what my kind of niche was going to be I would say my skill set coming out of all the work that I'd done and and then coming off the foundation was really my my main skill set was around like project management and just being able to sort of take big projects big problems and like quarterback a team and get to wherever we needed to be quickly and efficiently um and so in the beginning I had a lot of clients call me just to sort of like project manage things they had going on. And I really enjoyed that. Um, the foundation was one of my clients since I'd just been working for them. But over time, I ultimately got the, the opportunity to be a bit more selective in what I wanted to do. And that's when I realized that like the public policy part was really what got my juices flowing and what I liked the most. And I think a lot of that's because that kind of work to me combines like the two things I really love. One is people and like relationships because so much of, especially on the lobbying side is around relationships. And then also sort of getting in deep around the issues, you know? So I don't wanna just go like sell an issue to lawmakers. I wanna really understand it and like be part of the team that develops the solutions that I then go help get across the finish line. Um, so that's kind of where I've landed. Um, but it was a little bit scary in the beginning. Right. I mean, because yeah. cons consulting is one of those things that nobody thinks they need until they get to a position right. where they're like, "Yeah, wait a second. Right. I don't know the first thing about X, Y, and Z, but right. I need to be able to execute and get it done. I don't have the time to devote to learn the skill set. Yeah. Who can I call? That's right. You know, and also 
from your perspective, how are you able to kind of get a consulting business off the ground when you really have to create this resume of trust mm-hmm. within people that are going to feel yeah. that are they're going to call you up because you they don't know who you are unless you have a track record. Sure. And they're going to want to look at your past success to know why should I call you? Yeah. So, I mean, what were you doing to kind of put your best foot forward in that light? So I kind of started off like I think most new entrepreneurs do and like just going and sitting down with people I'd worked with in the past. And, you know, I'd been in two roles in the governor's office and then at BRAF, especially at BRAF, where I was just really out in the community a lot and getting to work with a lot of different people in a lot of different industries and spaces. Um, and so initially... A lot of my clients just came from people I'd, I'd worked with previously. And so they already kind of had that trust factor of like, I've seen your work. I've seen how, I've seen how you manage this project or handled that issue. Um, and I was impressed and that's how it started. And then after that, I think it's a lot of just kind of word of mouth. You know, um, I've always kind of taken the approach that you kind of get out of your community what you put in. And so I try to be really involved in other things just outside of my day-to-day business activity um and as it turns out that's good for business too right i mean the more people you're around that you connect with the more people are going to think of you when they have that problem and they're like oh i could really use someone else to help me with that so yeah i wait who does this who does that <laughs> that's and right when you see them out and about i mean that's the the show is kind of almost a, a proof to that from my perspective where people will call me and go wait I've seen your show, but aren't you a CPA? Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like, aren't you? Wait, a, like, you can also do my taxes. Wait, you can also do my taxes and <laughs> everything else, yeah, you know? Right. And it's like, well, yeah, I can, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I don't just sit in a chair dressed by McClavey's. Yeah, that's right. yeah. I actually, you know, know some tax stuff. You yeah, know, I know some, yeah. some other business information that is valuable. Yeah. But it's that how do you remain top of mind? Because in your business, it is people remembering, oh, she does that. Beverly yeah. does that. Beverly's experience in this. And what are you doing on that front? I mean, is it literally just word of mouth? Yeah, that you're I mean, to, you know. Or, or are you at the point where you're like, uh, I only take six people a year. Or I only take X no, amount of people a year. No, I would say, I mean, it's kind of a combination. Like, I, I definitely do, you know, some some marketing, right? We've got a, I've got a website and all the normal stuff. I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, super out there with like digital marketing. Um, but yeah, most of it's word of mouth. Um, I have... You know, now, as it turns out, like a lot of clients that are sort of connected, like this client works with this client and, and they say I help them do something. And then, you know, it's sort of I don't know. It's all connected uh, at this point. Um, but no, I mean, I always try to say yes when people call me. Um, I would say one of the I know you ask all your people at the end, like lesson learned. But one one lesson I have learned is that sometimes you got to say no. Um Mainly just because as a small business, it's just me and uh, my partner, Doreen, who works with me. You know, we have limited bandwidth. We'll bring in outside people to help us with some projects when we need other hands. Um, But if you say yes to everything, you end up then having to say no to the projects that come along that that you really want to say yes to, right? So we try to look out over, you know, a three, six, nine-month horizon at what might be coming down the pipeline and sometimes we do have to be selective of the work that we take on. Um, but I always look working with new clients and sort of get to know new issues too. So I think understanding that no 
is a sentence. Yes. And no is an acceptable response yes. for entrepreneurs, whether you're just getting started or you're in that hyper growth phase or you're just in a normal growth phase where yeah. you can't take on everybody. You know, right. Barrett and I were talking before the show about some plans that I have in the work for 2023. And it takes a sense of self-reflection to realize you are only given 24 hours in a day to do everything, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> there's not there, I know. They, they, like you don't I'm get less, you more, don't get more. Like, <laughs> like you, you can't bargain yeah, yeah, for more. Yeah. You, you can't I'm lobby for it. more hours in a day, right? You're only set for yeah. a certain amount of time. Yeah. And if you say yes to everything, that was always, you know, kind of I guess a flaw within myself was that I would always try to take on and yes, absolutely, I would never want to be the person who said no to some things. Yeah. Where now. I guess I've hit that threshold of bandwidth where it's like, I can't, Yeah, you know, I can't, or you have to figure out a way to take on that new business and continue to grow your own sure. when you work in an hourly based type business, yeah, which right. consulting I think has probably a degree of that, maybe not yeah. entirely, but you then just start pricing yourself out For of sure. people yeah, and you get some projects when you get to a certain level that are really fascinating and enjoyable to you. Yeah that you may not even be able to work on because of the overpricing you've that's had right. to do yeah. to give people quality work. No, that's absolutely true. And I think it's also the other skill that I've had to really, and I always thought I was pretty good at time management just because as a college athlete, like especially at Harvard, I mean, it was all about time management, right? Like I had to do all my practice stuff, but then also study a lot. But then when I started my own business, I really had to become good at time management just because I also want to save time outside of work for community involvement stuff. And it's sort of like you have to be willing to say no to that, some of that too. Um, so that's a skill that I have not perfected, but I'm continuously working on. <laughs> so. It's a, it's a and my kids, I got to save time for them. Too, right, so. right. Yeah. You know, then you throw in the family right, yeah. the whole mix, right? You know, like I've got, I've got right. a one year old, so yeah. it's, you know, I've you know. had to, uh, yeah, I've had to limit and people are like, oh, can you do dinner? I'm like, I can't do dinner. Yeah, right, right. Like, lunches are preferred, you yes. know, <laughs> lunches, breakfast is even like the, all that's preferred over dinner. Like yes. dinner is my home time. That's dinner right. is my that's family right. time or catch me on a Tuesday, right. you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. like yeah. I got one day a week I get yeah. that, that other times I just have to spend elsewhere. Sure. You know, you can't just, I mean, in college it was every night I was yeah. like meeting with people doing this right. and that and you get all that ability to be so flexible but oh, then yeah. as you start to age and progress you start realizing that you can't yeah and i think now with um with every with so much being virtual i mean post covid it seems like it's still it's still usual that during my normal work day a lot of it is on zoom and not in person which is you know not the way it was pre covid i don't i don't i can't remember when i ever had a zoom before covid um, I think I've had one or two, and that's because the person I was talking with was in South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. Like that, that's why, because it was right. cheaper yeah, yeah, for us yeah, to hop on yeah. a Zoom than one of us to get on a plane. But now with so much being on Zoom, it also feels like your days are like, at least for me, even more jam-packed than before because people assume they can just schedule you back-to-back. -back, you know, So it's like, oh, Zoom 11 to 12, 12 to 1, 1 to 2. Whereas normally, I mean, you know, just had a little time in between meetings, you know. So I don't know. It, it just seems like it's even busier than before. Well, and then you also have the fact of within any virtual meeting, we're still all learning how to use technology. Yes. So <laughs> if you have a 30-minute meeting, you better block out seven and a half oh, yeah. minutes oh, yeah. for the host or whomever to figure out how in the world to work the software. That's right. That's right. And so <laughs> yeah. then you're seven and a half minutes in, and you, if you 
do your schedule like what you were describing, you've got your meetings on the yeah. hour. And you're like, look, I, I got to get to the next yeah, one. Right, you know, right. we, we can't carry this over. Yeah. And you start throwing all that all that corporate jargon of like, yeah. okay, oh, we'll circle back in we'll next week. Back. Oh, yeah. A lot of circling back. <laughs> like, like a lot of circling back. And a lot of circling back. Like in the meetings, I mean. Let me I, run that down and circle back. Right. I mean, how much, I guess from a lobbying standpoint, you can accomplish a little bit more. But like from yeah. a true work standpoint of being down in the trenches, how much is actually done within those meetings? I mean, I think it depends on the client. I have some clients that are very efficient over Zoom, um, others less so. On the lobbying side, I mean, most of the work that happens in the lobbying world is done in person, and that's just the nature of that business, um, right? It's all about seeing people face-to-face, -face, developing relationships, and those types of things. Um, so for that part of my business, that actually involves more of like going to events whether it's fundraisers or just being at the Capitol, um, meeting with legislators in the off season. Um, and so for me, that's really refreshing to get out of the office, not be on Zoom all the time and like get those real person to person interactions. So. And so within the lobbying, you're talking about that difference you like to make within policy creation yeah. and actually figuring out and discussing what the root of the problem is and figuring out a solution. Yeah. So. How has that been beneficial in what you've been doing from the consulting side? So I think sort of it really drives all the work that I do. I mean, you talked earlier about sort of being selective in taking on projects. And uh, my colleague Doreen and I like to sort of, when we get approached about a new project, we sort of like to take a pause and figure out like how this fits in our overall sort of corporate mission, so to speak, which I think is improving Louisiana um in our community and so we try to take on clients that we think are sort of promoting those values um and then you know whatever the problem is or the issue that they're facing i mean i have some clients in the healthcare space um a couple clients in the economic development state space the statewide chamber lobby is a client of mine and so helping them think through how can they help businesses improve day-to-day -day and improve the economic trajectory of our state um, that's really excites me. Um, and then helping them sell those ideas at the Capitol to make it happen. So, so, and how do you balance the time between clients? Kind of depends, right? I mean, I kind of know the clients that take up more of my time and the ones that don't. Um, I mean, to some extent you get what you pay for. So the clients that are paying more, get more time. Um, in the lobbying space, more of that work is a little bit cyclical. So obviously during the legislative session, which is every spring, this year it'll start in April and go to June because it's a shorter fiscal session. Um, I have to be able to sort of set most other stuff aside because during the session I'm at the Capitol every day, pretty much all day. So I kind of like to look at my non-lobbying work and make sure I'm not taking on anything with too many deadlines during the session um, just because my schedule sort of becomes not mine during that time. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of what happens in lobbying happens like after four or five o'clock during the session because legislators adjourn for the day and that's when you can really go talk to them and get stuff done. So um, it is it is a struggle during that time to manage the time. Yeah, because you're looking at times outside of. Oh, yeah. W working hours, but it's it's necessary in order to get accomplished what you need to get accomplished because that's, that's right. when you can 
have those one-on-one meetings. You can That's talk right. to them. You can express the concerns and the issues and say, how do we come to a solution here? That's right. That's you right. know, so that is, I mean, that just eats into more of the family time. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's like the, the clock never stops to a sense. Yes. Yes. So within your community involvement, that adds another layer to this onion <laughs> where you're actually on the board of our, one of our sponsors, Currency, I am, Currency yeah. Bank. So how did, how did that come to be? Um, so kind of a happenstance. Um, Scott Godin, who I know is a common acquaintance of ours, um, and I have known each other for several years. When I was working at the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, we overlapped on a couple of projects uh, here locally. And... Um, he kind of he approached me with this idea of starting his own bank. Um, I, my dad, who's been in the primarily the real estate development uh, industry in most of his career, had had experience being on a couple of bank boards over his career. Um, so it wasn't a completely foreign concept to me. But Scott sat me down and just told me about his idea for currency as sort of a a unique, very consumer friendly, business friendly community bank. Um, that would be about all about customer service and really kind of sold me on the idea from day one. Um, ended up being an investor in the bank and then he invited me to join the board and, you know, I'm on a couple of different nonprofit boards in the community, which I really enjoy. I viewed this a little differently as an opportunity to sort of learn a skill set um, around the banking industry and financial markets. Um, and so something that hopefully could be useful to me down the road plus just be involved in an exciting startup. Um, and it, it's been a great opportunity. I know, like that is just, when, when you sit down with somebody, and Scott in particular, and he tells you, we're gonna buy a bank. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, so many questions start coming to mind. Yeah. Like, okay, well, hang on, hang on, well, stop, stop. You're, you're buying, I am, you're the, bank. the bank we did buy was <laughs> is in Oak Grove, and so uh, that didn't send me for a loop as, as it might some people, because I'm from Monroe, which is right. not too far, so. So you were like, oh, this, but I was like, oh wait, I, I used to bank there. <laughs> <laughs> so with volunteering, yeah, it, it again, like for me, I'm just so curious from a time management. Like, do you have like tools you use? <laughs> like, just you're all over the My place Outlook with calendar things. Like, what is, is, is like, sacred. Okay, Outlook, the Outlook calendar is very sacred to me. If anything is off on the out, if you're not on the Outlook calendar, it's not happening. Right. I'm sure you're the same I, way. Right. I, I live by I that. live by it. Um and, and when something doesn't sync up with my phone and my computer, it's like, I mean, disaster. Um It's and, and then so we I don't know I don't know how you how your household operates, but we have a a, a shared email. A shared address. calendar, yeah. We have we have a well we have a shared email. So oh, like a household email oh. that like all of our house bills. I anything, think that would stress my husband out. In, in anything that it that <laughs> involves our home, yes. It goes into there. So oh, like for for the show episodes, I have to add a I have to add one of the guests as the household email. <laughs> So it shows up on my wife's right, calendar. Yes, yes. So she's got that link to her phone. But like yeah. we know when when pest when pest control is right, coming, when mosquito right. spray is coming, when whomever is coming to the house parties, etc. It's like yeah. if it's not on the calendar, right? It, it's not happening. Yeah, it is definitely a delicate balance, and you know it's it, it's day to day, right? It's it's I'm not going to make it sound like it's a totally a well oiled machine. No, never. Is. There are a lot of like nine o'clock at night, like oh crap, uh, tomorrow tomorrow's going to be a problem. Um, but luckily I have a really great support system, my husband, and then my parents are really involved. I have a great nanny for my kids. And so it all seems to work, but it is a very delicate balance. And there are those times when I'm like, 
think I, I think I might have overcommitted just this like this month, you know, or this week. Um, so, but you know, you learn from those things. Yeah, that that the overcommitment is like one of, one of the things I struggle with the most. Is yeah, again, oh, me that, too. That, that saying yes to so many things, yeah. and you're like, wait. Oh, that's gonna be a rough week. Yeah, right. Then, then you look ahead, and you're like, oh, that's gonna be another rough week. Right. Well, and it's a good problem to have. I mean, all the stuff that I'm involved with outside of work, you know, in different boards and stuff, it's all stuff I really like. So, you know, I don't think of it as like, oh crap, I've got to go to this or that. Um, it's all stuff I enjoy doing, but it it's just when you when you sign up for too much at one time. Right, and then when you are moving so fast in certain things, you tend to forget the promising of doing something yes that's right and then I've, I've i've run into a situation where i'll get a phone call and they're like hey like hello my art hey what, what yeah, what's right. going oh, wait, on i'm supposed to be there like, like what's going on and they're like oh we have a 10 30 <laughs> scheduled patrick and i'm like we have a 10 <laughs> okay what are we talking right, about right, like, yeah, right, yeah. Let's, let's just do it over the phone let's let's, let's just do it what, yeah, what do we got you know right. I've, I've oh i've had that before i was like last, last week that happened yeah. i was like okay i didn't i don't recall but yeah. anyways, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, right. And you just you just have to roll with the punches at that point where if it's not on the calendar, like it's... It's, it's not on the calendar. A, it's a, not a, happening. Out of sight, out of yeah, mind. That's right. So it's just, it's so tough to balance that yeah. from any entrepreneur's perspective. Absolutely. You know? It really and, is. And then like with what you're doing, like being involved in the community, being the consulting side of things, like it's just, it, it, it's, it's tough. And yeah. whenever you started out with Sequitur Consulting, did you ever envision it getting to that point? I really didn't. You know, I wasn't even sure if it would stick. I was sort of like, you know, I don't have a ton to lose. Like if, if I try this and go out on my own and it doesn't work out, I can go back and get a job somewhere doing something interesting that I enjoy. Right. Um, but it just surprised me that one people were calling me to do work and work that I really enjoyed. And two, that it, it fulfilled me, you know, to be out on my own. And, you know, then it, then you're kind of in that situation where once you go and become your own boss, it's really hard to think about going back to not being your own boss. Um, so at this point I feel like, you know, at least for, for as far as I can see right now, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing cause I love it. Um, and it is nice, you know, with having young kids to be able to, you know, at least even though I overcommit and sometimes my schedule doesn't feel like my own schedule at the end of the day, I'm the one making it. So I can still sort of, you know, slot in a break to go pick up my kids from school or, you know, to make the things I want to make. So, right. You still have nice. that, that sense of control. Yes, that's right. That's you're, right. You're, you're not bound to that, that boss saying, no, Beverly, we really need you here yeah, to that's get right. this done. That's right. And I think that is that interesting topic of, an entrepreneur going back into the workforce. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, don't want to say never. I mean, you know, right. you never know what opportunities are going to present themselves. I'm certainly, I've always been, like I said, I think when we started, like, I try not to look too far ahead career wise. I'm just sort of year to year. <clears throat> Let's see how things are going. Look, you know, I'll plan for next year, but you just never know what opportunities might arise or where the path might take you. So I've always been pretty open minded about that. You have to be willing to take on whatever's going to come at you and understand that yeah. the year you plan may not be the year that comes to fruition. That's right. You know, yeah. like the start yeah. at the start of this year, the the show was uncertain. You yeah. know, like I there was I was looking for space. I was looking for something to do with the show and how can I adapt and move forward. 
And then it wasn't until Barrett with Fly, I was like, hey, man, I got a studio. Come check it out. Yeah. And then I was like, oh. Great studio, by Oh, the it's way. a fantastic Love studio. It. And I was like, okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And then now it's like, okay, now we're, now it's like, now the year has to come to plan. Now you got to plan yeah, the yeah, year right, out. Yeah. You know, I was like, all right, now something came <laughs> right, up that right. I wasn't <laughs> expecting. But now we've got to plan this whole year out. Because I took, I think it was like two months off whenever I had, whenever my wife and I had our son Quentin. And yeah. I was like, I just need time to be at home. I need a sure. break. And like, just, just decompress for a little bit. Sure. And then hitting it back around. It's like, all right, now we're back in it. And yeah. let's keep rocking and rolling. Yeah. So, Great show. Well, thank you. <laughs> We've got a lot of mutual yeah, acquaintances yeah. here. Apparently, we do. That are just, which I think is a testament to Baton Rouge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just a testament to the, the little big town that we are, that people are always connected in mm -hmm. that. It doesn't take much yeah. to know someone that you, to like meet somebody and then y'all instantly have a mutual connection. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, like, in, you know, in the work that I do, um, especially on the political side, like so much of it is about, relationships and connections um you know i've thought about like my husband's a, a doctor he could i mean you know theoretically kind of be anywhere and do his skill but we talk about like whether we would ever live somewhere else and i'm like i i couldn't pick up and like go to another town and like have the relationships and the friendships and the everything you just talked about like in some other town um you know Baton Rouge, it feels easy to get plugged in and get connected if you want to, right? Right. You know. Yeah. So. You, you and can, I don't think every I don't to, think yeah. every town is like that. You know. I, I would agree, and it's also nice to hear it coming from someone who has lived around the country. Yeah. You know, you've lived on both coasts, right? Yes. <laughs> and 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 the boot. So you've you've lived around the country to kind of get a feel for big cities. Yeah. Quick, high speed interaction times to then realize that in Baton Rouge you can text somebody and say, hey, I need to get in touch with this person. Yeah, totally. You know, like I've, I had lunch with somebody, what is it, today's only Tuesday. I had lunch with somebody this week and we were talking about what he needed to do for his business and who he could get in touch with. And he's like, well, I'm going to Seattle. It's like, oh, I know somebody from Baton Rouge in Seattle. Yeah. Touch base with them. And we're in a group chat and my buddy's like, hey, I'm flying up to Seattle. And this guy who's from Baton Rouge, LSU alum, yeah. is like, Bring your whole family over for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Let's have dinner. And I'm like, where else are you gonna find uh, yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Where you're going to the other side of the country, yeah. and the guy and the person's gonna say, "Bring your family over for Thanksgiving." Sure. Y'all come sit with us. Never met the person a day in his life. Yeah. But because he's a Baton Rouge native, knows me, we have that mutual connection. They're more willing to open their doors and say, "We know where you're from. We oh, know yeah. the people around that area. Come on over." One hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely very unique. Uh, certainly than the other cities that I lived in, which as you said, we're all pretty like big cities, like, you know, San Francisco, New York, DC, Boston. Um, and I loved every one of those cities. They were great. But when I talked to my friends who are all now, you know, midway through their career doing whatever they're doing, law firm, political, all kinds of stuff, banking. Um, it's just a different feel, right? Like they don't, even just in, in family life, the environment in a big city is not like, oh, like, I mean, call my neighbors and everybody come down and let's hang out. It's not like that. Everything is a little bit more sterile and distanced. And, you know, there's just not that personal interaction as much as we have down here. So, I mean, that's what I love about the South yeah. and why I wanted to get back. No, so. 100%. We had my son's first birthday and we had two neighbors that had kids that around the same age over. And like, yeah. I never would have known them in my normal circle, sure. but it's because we lived within proximity to each other yeah. that we knew each other and our, our kids are now friends. And it's like, that's just, 
yeah. I guess we kind of we kind of take advantage of that as being from here that we just think everywhere is like that. Oh yeah, no. My friends from other cities are always like tell me they're jealous of like that culture that we have down here. Yeah. Where you just have so many friends and everyone gets together so much, whether it's for business or fun. Right. I mean, so. we, we we've had guests on the show that were from Los Angeles and they were like, Well, we've never been to an LSU tailgate because they've never been invited. I said, You just need to go on campus yeah, right, right. and just and just start talking that's to people. Right, that's right. Just start meeting <laughs> new people and they'll that's invite right, yeah. you to their tailgate. Oh, yeah. Like well, you just don't walk need... up like you're meant to be there. That, that's what I'm saying. Like just oh, yeah. walk up, introduce yourself and yeah. be friendly and they're gonna invite you in. That's just yeah. the hospitality down here. That's right. You you rarely will you have somebody say, Whoa, 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 what what, what who are you? What are you yeah, doing here? Yeah, that's right. They're going to say, okay, great. Who are you? Are you from here? Okay, you want something to drink, some food to eat? And it's For like, sure. that's just the culture of being down here in Louisiana and in Baton Rouge specifically. It's yeah. just, we almost have like this, this this inviting atmosphere where we're always kind of inviting more in than we really should be like, maybe analyzing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> should right. we invite these yeah. people in? You yeah. know, it's like, no, come on over. Yeah. It's, and we're going to have a blast. Yeah. So from the, the policy side of things that you do, and looking at Baton Rouge and things to be done, yeah. what do you feel when you're going into these policy discussions from an impact standpoint? Yeah. Like, will what you're talking about really come to fruition? Yeah, um, I think so. So a lot of what I'm doing right now is around, like, state-level public policy, um, which obviously Baton Rouge is one of the biggest cities in our state. You know, that impacts them a lot as well. Um, next year is going to be a huge year just because big statewide elections there will be big turnover in the legislature with that. I think there's a lot of opportunity on the policy side to put out fresh ideas, come up with new solutions. Um, you know, there's definitely no shortage of opportunity to improve in Louisiana as great as our state is <clears throat> all that culture we talked about. We still have a lot of work to do around economic development uh, infrastructure, tax code, healthcare, and so starting to think through <clears throat> what is the next version of those things. You know, we've made good strides in some of those areas over the past four, eight, 12 years. In some areas, we've actually backtracked. So a lot of the work that I'll hopefully be doing over the next 12 months really is around developing some of those solutions so that when we get a new set of leaders at the state level, there'll be some ideas for them to latch on to. Um, and hopefully, you know, it help implement. So. so when you're going and having these conversations, I'm curious as to the development side of policy. Yeah. How does that work? So a lot of it is sort of looking at the status quo and what are the, the gaps or the, the challenges with us being better in certain areas. Um, another part of it is looking at what else is happening around the country. So with COVID, we've seen... Some states where we were doing better than them in certain areas now pass us by during COVID or the past two to three years. They're growing faster than we are. They've rebounded faster than we have. So looking at other states and figuring out what are they doing well that we're not doing and how can we improve, that's a big part of it. And then part of it is just sort of getting down into the weeds on issues. So like really digging into our tax code or really digging into, you know, how things get funded in Louisiana and how we can improve. Um, so it's, it's kind of a combination of a lot of different things. Part of it is sort of just traditional research and part of it is talking to people in other places to figure out what's working. Do you ever run across a situation in both the consulting side, the boards you're on and just the general space that you're in of like a conflict of interest at points? Yeah. Um, 
definitely those situations arise, um, particularly when you do some lobbying, which I do. Um, you always have to be cognizant of that, of sort of <clears throat> which clients are going to be advocating for certain things and could there be a situation where those are not aligned for your clients. Um, and there absolutely have been situations where I've had to say no to work um, to make sure that I don't have a conflict. That's something that's very important to me. Um, so, yeah, it's always something I have to pay attention uh, to. That's what I was about to follow up with. How do you deal with a situation in which a conflict arises? Yeah, I mean, the best option is <clears throat> hopefully to get ahead of that. And so talking through with clients, okay, what do you? What are your objectives over the next year to two years? Like, what are we planning ahead for? And then sort of doing a, a survey of your other clients to make sure that there's not going to be any conflict. Um, but, you know, when those situations arise, you just deal with it, talk through it with clients, figure out, like I have a partner who works with me, so there could be a situation where I sort of hand something to her and we sort of separate for a particular client matter where there might be a conflict. So usually it can be dealt with. Have you ever run across a situation where you had to get two clients in the same room to talk out a conflict? No. Thankfully, no. Could you? Sounds sounds like it would be awkward. <laughs> I was about but, to say. Uh, yeah. like, I'm, I'm thinking like I'm if, hoping you, that I if you don't get into clients, that situation. Ever, okay. Good, yeah. Yeah. Good. I, but I, you know, and there's some industries that are more competitive than others. Like, <clears throat> I have a a client in the healthcare industry, hospital provider, and that's a very competitive landscape, um, in in the state of Louisiana. And so I've always kind of understood like that would be my only client in that industry space. Um, I wouldn't take on another because there absolutely would be a conflict arise. Other industries, you know, like I have a nonprofit client uh, that deals with like access to autism services and, you know, it's not as competitive by nature. So anyway, you just kind of have to look at each situation on a case by case basis, I guess. Right. That yeah. makes sense. Was was there ever a point in the building of Sequitur Consulting that you thought of like just hanging it up? Not really. No. I mean, sort of, it sort of just like took off and went on a upward trajectory. I wouldn't say it's been like, you know, straight up. Yeah, you haven't, you haven't gone to the moon. Gradually, gradually upticking since I started it. Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx it. Um, but I mean, I would say I'm happier doing what I'm doing now than I was when I started. You know, I mean, it's sort of grown into the type of work that I really love and that gets my juices going every day. So, yeah. I yeah. haven't thought about hanging it up. You found your your niche. I think so. That's incredible. Yeah. So as we start to kind of wind up the show, you know about the set list of questions yeah, that we asked. Yeah, you sent them to me. <laughs> it's not. A, are they, I mean, they're not. They're not that Are they tough questions? No, no, they're not. Like, do I need to rephrase my they're final not that questions? Hard, but I like. But the way you set it up makes it makes you're like there's a series of final questions right it's just to make them like i want to build it up to right. build a okay. little bit of suspense i'm ready though and then it's like it's i'm just, ready yeah it's like you know that the, the water falling right off. right so what are three lessons learned along the way i'm mixing the order up here okay yeah that is throwing <laughs> me off all right so i think a couple of them i've touched on one is the whole learning to say no um even though i don't like to but just sort of i would say that's like a life lesson and a career lesson i've learned um, because if you don't, like we talked about, that balance is going to be out of whack and then sort of everything just suffers. So that's one lesson I've had to learn and try to improve at. Um, the other, I guess I would say is just, you know, I have found 
in whatever career I've done, and especially now sort of having my own shop and the thing about working for yourself is it's great because you work for yourself, but at the end of the day, it's also the buck stops with you. Like if something doesn't get done, that's on you. And so what I do is all about relationships and building that trust factor. And the one thing I've found is that the quickest way to burn the trust is if you say you're going to do something and don't do it. Yes. And that happens a lot to me, like just in my career, not, you know, with other people do other people do that to you. And you're like, Oh, like I'm not going to call them again because like they said they were going to do that and they didn't. So that's the one thing I've always tried to focus on and, and sort of pride myself on in my business is saying I'm going to do something and doing it hopefully quickly. You know, I'm the kind of person who, if I say I'm going to do that, I like, write it down and try to do it like that night when I get home, you know, not putting it off. Um, so I would say that's sort of just a lesson learned in terms of like things that are important to success in the business I'm in. Um, and then I guess the last thing would be kind of what I touched on earlier about just the idea of you get from your community, what you put in. Nothing irks me more when I hear people complain about Baton Rouge and all the problems we have but then they're actually not doing anything about it. You know, and I'm like, there's a ton of ways to get involved. You don't have to have a bunch of money or be a genius at any particular thing to get involved. Right. You just need to care. Yeah. Right. Like someone wants you to help. There's plenty of organizations out there. So, and for me, like that's really helped me grow both personally and career wise to just like feel like I'm invested in this community. Um, because then you're like, I'm not just reading all the headlines about, everything bad that's going on you're like oh i actually know there's some really good stuff going on yeah you know um so that's kind of another lesson i guess yeah you can read through the fine print yeah and see what's happening behind the scenes that's and right. be a part of it you that's can, right you can make the good stories happen that's exactly right yeah so what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today i would say play music so i grew up playing the violin and the piano i started playing the violin when i was four and I played all the way Holy through. Smokes. Really, I played competitively, like, till high school and then a little bit in college. But then after college, you know, life got in the way, busy with work and, like, family. And, I mean, I have a great violin. I just haven't picked it up in, you know, 20 years. And now my ki my oldest daughter is at the age where she's starting music lessons. <clears throat> so I really wish I could still pick it up and, like, play. Um, I, so, yeah, that's kind of a skill I wish I'd not given up same yeah. I, I i started with alto sax then moved into tenor oh, saxophone wow. okay, yeah. and then picked up piano thereafter when my sister was learning yeah and then started dabbling in guitar so i got okay i was like i wanted to want to play some musical, musical instruments right yeah. Yeah. yeah started uh dabbling in trombone and horn and yeah that's and awesome trumpet and french horn so i was like all into musical instruments and everything so yeah. i can definitely relate to yeah that wanna, and the monkey wanna, bars wanna pick it back up. if only i could do the monkey bars my daughter tried to get me to show her the monkey bars the other day, and I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. <laughs> like, two handlebars later, I was, like, on the ground. See, so. you talk to Scott. He'll yeah. tell you to go to Iron Tribe, all right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I, I, know. I know he yeah, pushes yeah. Iron Tribe everywhere yeah. he goes. It's all about F45. That's right, F45. Yeah, oh, yeah. look, Anthony Renato was on the show, F45. You got it going on over there. That's what I'm saying. That's right. Anywhere you go. So I'm very curious of your answer to this question. Yeah. Um, just because of your involvement okay. with everything here and around yeah. our local ecosystem. Okay. So if you give me an answer to that we've gotten in the past, I'm going to challenge you on it. Okay. 
So what is something you love about Baton Rouge? Oh, um, I mean, I had an answer, but now I'm worried it was something you heard. Before. No, no, no. Give, give me your answer. Give me your answer. Give me your answer. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think it's the opportunity okay. to improve. Okay. Because what I love doing is feeling like I'm having an impact and like improving the city, the business community, the state. We have a lot of work to be done in Baton Rouge. I mean, a lot. Um, and so there's no shortage of ways to get involved and feel like you're having an impact. Um, and I think, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, like I lived in a bunch of big cities and like it's hard to get plugged in in big cities. You know, like you want to be involved, but it's like it's so big and like you feel like you don't know the people who are actually making things happen. Um, in Baton Rouge, like you said, like if you want to get plugged in, you can get plugged in and you can get plugged in like near the top. Right. If you really want to with the people who are actually doing things and making change. Right. Um, it's just a matter of putting forth the effort. And so I love that about Baton Rouge. Um, it's definitely not sort of hands off. There's no barriers to entry in Baton Rouge, in my opinion. So great answer. <laughs> I like it. It was yeah. it's different. It's a good different answer. And I, I, I agree with you. There is so much opportunity here in Baton Rouge that when people, I mean, that was, that's, that's the genesis of why I started the show was people told me there wasn't. Yeah. And I knew there was. Right. That I just had to showcase it and really bring on people that are doing great things in the community yeah. and say, here it is. That's if right. If they've done it, so can anybody. Yeah. You know, if anyone's come in to start a business or start an organization and become successful, why can't you? That's right. So there's no need to go elsewhere and find, you stated it perfectly in this episode, that if you were to move to a different city or a different state, you have to start all over yeah. again within your field of work. But if you're here in Baton Rouge, you live in Baton Rouge, the opportunity is just ripe for the picking. Yep. I agree 100%. So for the final question, what can I do to help you? Um, If you have any guests on your show who need public policy consulting work, lobbying, tell them to call me. I'm sure, I'm sure there's um, at least yeah, one. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Just let's stay connected. Absolutely. I love, I love hearing everyone on your show and, and what everyone is up to. It's really uh, educational to sort of meet new entrepreneurs and hear their stories. I know it's, it's, it's the, the really guys before me were very interesting. So <laughs> it, it, they sounded potentially more fun than what I'm doing, but you know, I won't, I won't look at how my career might've been different if I would have gone into arcade gaming. Can't, can't do the should have, could have, would have. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's right. It, it, that's right. That would have taken me really far back. Right, right. You, you can't, you can't keep looking at that as what can you do then? Yeah, that's right. Closer to doing what you love, but it sounds like you're doing what you love yeah, every no, single I am. day. Come I on, am. Beverly. Yeah, it's good. It's good. No All complaints right. here. Well, thank you for coming on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and awesome. appreciate your your willingness to understand awesome. the, the time happy delays Thanksgiving. and everything. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening. Um, and thank you, everybody else, for tuning in, whether you're watching or listening to the show, whatever platform you're consuming us on, I'm very much appreciative. If you're in the market for public policy or you're in the market for maybe somebody to be on your board of directors, <laughs> I hear there's a great candidate that's always looking to do better things in Baton Rouge. So... Make sure to hit up Beverly if you need any of those types of services. We're going to link her website and everything else within the show notes. So check her out if you need what she has to offer. And thank you so very much for being the great, wonderful support system that keeps the Patty G Show going. If you're seeing things in Baton Rouge happen or not happen and you want to, reach out to us and let us know who we can bring on next or 
what business we need to look into for a possible partnership or pairing, we'd be more than happy to talk. Thank you all so very much, and thank you to the wonderful sponsors that make this show possible each and every week. Hear a little bit more about them right now. Sell your home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $399 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya. Falaya, real estate reimagined. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month. So if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making the Patty G Show possible. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away, it's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on, listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life. Shopping for a car, they're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you, signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you.
Thank you so very much to Currency Bank, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. If you're looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values, relationships, service, and technology, Currency Bank is the place for you. They pride themselves on convenient, accessible, and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances, initiate transfers, enroll with e-statements, and more via their online portal. Between the relationships, the service, and the technology, they are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners. McClavey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way, and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you. Simple. Yeah.